We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's all football, all day, every Monday. Buffalo Bills Football Monday, brought to you by Northwest Bank. For what's next, get started at northwest.com. Welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday rumbles on the halfway mark. And joining me now on the Western Hotline is my man John Scott. Some have said the second best dressed golfer in Western New York, John Scott, that is. John, um, what do you have to say to your critics that say you're the second best and not the best dressed golfer? Well, are we getting some scratch here? Is this segment sponsored by Bad Birdie? It or should like, be. What are we doing here? It should be. I'm reaching right. out to them soon. I was in. Uh, Jay Skursky told me the other day I was featured in their uh, in their newsletter last week. Uh, I have com- I'm converting my closet from all my old clothes to Bad Birdie. You and Skursky really inspired me uh, in that way. So yeah, listen. You know, li- the only other person that that might have something to say about uh, being better dressed than you is Skursky, and he basically steals from your closet, anyways. Yeah, I mean... Smaller arms, though. Much smaller arm circles for Skirsky than you. That, you know, that's true. I just... (laughs) The patterns are fantastic, but they're just really comfortable shirts, man. They really are, man. They they, they really, really are. And and that's not a shot at Skirsky not lifting weights. We just know you don't miss... And and Perino told me this last week. You you never miss an arm day. No, I mean... Uh, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta keep the pipes, uh, first in, you know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. My friend. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, always enjoy having you on. And I would say maybe before I, I don't, can you call a, a matchup, a big matchup when you're a 14 point favorite? I, I don't know that that's actually allowed. No, I, I don't know if I'd call it a big matchup. I it's, it's more of a, well, they, they better look a certain way against this team, Mm-hmm. If they don't, then that would be three weeks in a row, and and this is different competition, and maybe you start wondering what's what's going on, depending upon how the game would play out if it went a, a little more uh, of a challenge than most probably expect. So, like you know, a fourteen point spread, we know that's 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 lofty. It's the highest spread uh, against the spread that Pittsburgh has ever been um, in their franchise's history, which is which tells you something. Um, Kenny Pickett's first NFL start. There's a lot of storylines for this Pittsburgh team, but no Jordan Poyer. How much do you maybe put that into scripting how you should feel one way or another about this game, knowing the Bills don't have Dawson Knox, they don't have uh, Jordan Poyer? I mean, th- those are two pretty big losses for this team. From a defensive side of things, regardless of who's out there, Pittsburgh's uh unit doesn't particularly strike fear in me. Um, certainly there's the unknown of what Pickett will bring, but they haven't been able to run the football and as talented of a group of wide receivers as they have, it just doesn't seem like it matters, at least currently. Um, and th- those receivers even have their inconsistencies, especially we've seen more of Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and, and haven't seen much of George Pickens. So they have talented guys. Pat Fryermuth is, is a talented tight end as well. But the defense, just in general, and I kind of felt this way going into Miami, is I don't know enough schematically. I don't look at the game 
that deep to be able to specifically say why, but there's just something about Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's scheme that it's not as simple as saying you could plug anyone in and they're going to be successful. Certainly, we understand Tredavious White is an elite talent, Mm. and when he's in there, their defense is better. But it's not like when certain guys are out, despite the caliber of player they are, that things just completely go the other direction. You saw it in Miami. There's really only one big breakdown in the secondary when it was four guys that really had never had a start before in their career. And so that's why you'll certainly miss Jordan Poyer. And you saw a week ago the impact that he has. But whether he's in the game and if they happen to you know not have Tremaine Edmonds, which I'm not optimistic about that, like they just seem to the depth has been apparent and the scheme itself just seems to be catered towards masking, you know, the yeah. loss of certain guys. John, I want to ask you and, and maybe re- go back to last week a little bit here, but how darn good did Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds look last week against an offense that you know, going into that game, Lamar Jackson probably had the had the nudge there in MVP voting if it, the season ended in Week Four, which you know it doesn't. Um, you know, Lamar might have might have gotten the nod there. So knowing how good they played in the second half and some of the difficult situations they were placed in in the first half, I don't know that I've seen a better performance from two linebackers in a game. I agree with you, and I, to me, it's more of something that that grabs my attention because it's Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, my my biggest criticism, like many, is there's just not enough moments over four-plus years where I can even remember noticing him. And we've seen more of them this season, and that was certainly one of those games. And he even was showing emotion and and a fiery side of him that that I I can't recall seeing in four-plus years with him out there. He was fantastic. We've seen Milano moments. We've seen him be flying all over the field, have these 10-plus tackle games where you're like, my goodness, that guy, he just is is special. He can do so much, and that's why people were comfortable with him getting paid. Those moments have not been the same on the scale. That's not even in terms of Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. I thought it was really encouraging to see both of them, and maybe that is why – the Bills seem to have a lot more favor towards mm. Tremaine and, 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 and like him, and that's why they wanted to bring back Milano, whereas maybe outsiders don't view it. Maybe we're on the cusp of seeing the two of them together really develop into this, this power tandem, and it's something I'm, I might look to explore you know, soon here. I think Bobby Babbage is a big reason for mm. that. We know what he did with the safeties with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Now he's now doing things with those linebackers. And maybe there's, there's just something that as great of a coach as his father is and really did good things with those guys, maybe there's another added element with playmaking that maybe Bobby has unlocked with both of them. John Scott here, Spectrum Sports on with me, covers the Buffalo Bills on our West Her Hotline, previewing some Steelers-Bills action. And, um, you know, I've got – uh, locked on Steelers host uh, Chris Carter coming on with me next. But, you know, when you think about this matchup, uh, potentially getting – it seems like anyways, Ed Oliver will be back. He's looked explosive in some of the video I've seen from this week in practice. Frankly, I, I think if it was the playoffs, he's probably playing last week. But I think the one guy and the one question mark is whether or not Jordan Phillips will be back in this game. And, and maybe with the soft – they just have, at least historically since Sean McDermott's been here – 
uh, John, they've been very conservative on the soft tissue, the, the hamstring-type injuries. They usually go the extra week. Would you expect that, that maybe Phillips takes one more week and, and so that he could be as close to 100% as possible for that next week matchup against Kansas City? And what does, the, what does that mean for this defense as a whole when they can have both Phillips and Oliver back and have that four, that four tandem rotation of settle Daquan Jones, who maybe is this team's unsung hero and maybe the best free agent signing they've had in a very long time at the defensive tackle position, just does not get enough credit. But when they've got all four of them, what does that do to that rotation and, and maybe the effectiveness of the defense as a whole? Yeah, when I spoke with Jordan Phillips middle of the week, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, he, he wasn't committal whether or not he was going to play, but he seemed in good spirits. And you're right, this team with, with injuries just generally just seemed to take more of a long-term cautious approach and it's worked for them. They just have never been in positions like they have the past few weeks where maybe that philosophy gets pushed because the laundry list is just so long here with guys. You, you can't maybe be cautious with everyone because you got to feel the team together. Phillips, I don't know. Oliver, you're right. I mean, I saw him and I put out a video yesterday of him at the, the stretching portion and, and he's hopping around and moving around. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I would anticipate him being back. And, and, and if he's back and then if Jordan comes back, whenever that is, yeah, that unit, I mean, we saw the first couple of weeks. I mean, if to get that type of an interior push and the way they can move those chess pieces around and even kick some guys inside and do some stunts and things like that, I, I mean, the first couple of weeks you saw what a front four the Bills have and how they can produce pressure on their own and what it does for the entire rest of the defense here. I think that unit's done a good job with the battle of attrition that they've had. And if you get those guys back, I think it could even do wonders while they maybe have to try to navigate some other injuries with guys on, on the next two levels behind. Let me ask you about the other side in the offensive line. And, and you know, they, they made some moves this offseason. But for the most part, Brandon Bean's philosophy has basically been temporary Band-Aids. And there's not been a lot of um, draft capital put into this offensive line short of last season where they took in back-to-back -back rounds Tommy Doyle in round four and Spencer Brown in round three. Um, but they haven't really, I don't know, Spencer Brown has been sort of an up-and-down player. He's looked really good at times, and he has looked really yeah. tough at times, especially against Bull Rush and, and guys that, that really kind of want to get after him physically. Um, overall, I don't know that you've gotten everything you've wanted to get out of Saffold, and I know he's kind of coming off of the, the – he didn't get a lot of time during training camp because of that car accident that, that kept him out for most of training camp. And the, the move from left guard to right guard for Ryan Bates hasn't been the most fruitful. Overall, you know, I, I think I, – and I keep hearing this from people that cover the league the, from the national perspective. They look at this Bills offensive line, and most people would say it's a top 15, top 20 unit. Now, that's not world beater or anything – I don't know that I agree that they're a top top half of the league offensive line. I just have not seen the returns quite yet. I think they've been fine. I, I think maybe pass protection has been good, and obviously Josh Allen's ability to be elusive and, and his pocket presence and escaping and things like that, that will mask any and every offensive line he plays with while he still has that mobility in his career. And then certainly the running game has not been overly effective early in the season, and how much of that is because of the offensive line. I, I don't know the answer to that. I think they've been fine. They also, like every other position group, they've been dealing with some injuries. That Miami game was really tough for them. And maybe a guy like a Spencer Brown that you mentioned, I think someone like him, I kind of liken to what Dawson Knox was like when he hmm. came in, a guy that kind of 
changed positions in college, maybe didn't get as much run and experience, but is physically talented. And maybe the developmental timeline is going to extend a little longer into the first few years of his career where he's getting more run and certainly at a different level of competition. And now there's a second offensive line coach that he's dealing with. And I know a good amount of those guys, I wouldn't use the word struggle, but it's been a serious adjustment with the way that Aaron Cromer does things. While they like what he does, I mean, it's still learning something new. So I think with, with that and then dealing with the injury, coming off of all of that, I think Spencer Brown physically has all of the tools to be a fantastic, great top-tier right tackle. And maybe if you just see some of those inconsistencies, it's because the guy played uh, a lower level of competition in college and is a guy that was, I believe, a tight end when he first got to school and, and just doesn't have the reps that you would probably think maybe other guys would coming into the league. All right, so no Dawson Knox this week. What's the confidence level of this coaching staff, this team, maybe Josh Allen has in Quentin Morris, a guy that I think really fought for every opportunity he's got in the NFL. I mean, him beating out Tommy Sweeney, I think maybe wasn't like a huge eye-opener, but I, I certainly thought Sweeney had the had sort of the inside track of winning that job. But I think Morris's preseason, his training camp, his athleticism that was just kind of always on display really wowed um, during training camp. It, you, you feel like he's ready for this, um, you know, this moment? Yeah, I think he is. And I think Tommy Sweeney, I would expect to get some run there as well. And maybe he, maybe he sees a decent amount of time. Maybe they, you know, maybe certain situations they go with more, certain situations they go with Sweeney or, or whatnot here. Or maybe they, they don't use the tight end, you know, 85, 90% of the time, like you see when Dawson Knox is healthy. You just never know. But Morris, I think, is more than capable. I mean, there's a reason I always keep an eye on these guys that are undrafted, that they hang around all most of training camp, and you kind of see little moments, and then they're the first wave of guys that they bring back on the practice squad, and you just kind of never think about them, but you're like, well, clearly they like that guy. If he's someone that, that they feel like they want to develop for a full year, and that's what Morris was, that's why I was kind of looking for some dart to throw when I was doing my – pre-training camp roster that's why I had Morris making the team because I've just I'm like well one I need something I can't go chalk and I just felt that they they like what they see in him so yeah Mm. I think he's ready but I also don't think him being ready means that they have to or will rely on him the same way that that they do Dawson Knox I think it'll maybe be more of a committee approach and Tommy Sweeney splits the snaps a little bit more and maybe they also just go more with the wide receivers and um you know, run the football a little bit more. John, uh, last thing for you before I let you go. Um, this season has been really interesting in terms of, you know, you talked about Trey White earlier, but, you know, Christian Benford comes in, be, kind of, I mean, he won the job for the number two corner position over first-round pick Kyrie Elam coming into the season. Then he breaks his hand. My question for you is, what have you seen from Kyer Elam and how impressive have you been that he's been able to kind of put aside something that I think not every player in the NFL would have taken kindly to losing their spot as a starter to, frankly, a guy that's a six-round pick and an FCS guy? Like, you could have easily seen him talk about it and talk about it negatively in the media and, and not necessarily take that the best way. And I thought he's taken it really well. And on top of that, I think it's sort of elevated his game. And I've really liked what I've seen from him through four, through uh, four weeks. And this is just me connecting dots. I, I would have to believe the family background in the NFL played a huge role in his ability to mm. take what is going on with him and 
flipping it in a positive way. And when he spoke before the Miami game, he said he he did a lot of self-reflection and needed to realize what he wasn't doing that was the reason he wasn't getting the run that he thought that he should or, or wanted to get. And I think maybe we underestimated the transition for him in terms of being a strictly press corner at Florida to then coming into a scheme that's predominantly zone. And I think his press coverage ability will be a good tool for them to use down the line and, and maybe mix things up from time to time, especially once Tredavious White is back and healthy and, and the, the level of corner that he can be. But out the gate, he needs to be more of a zone-type guy, and I think he was struggling with that. And I think the biggest indictment of a cornerback and, and some other positions is if you don't notice him. And ever since he's been in, inserted into the lineup in that Miami game the past two weeks, I don't think I've really noticed Kyrie Elam. And to me, that's the best thing you can say about a cornerback okay. is, is that, okay, they're not making the mistakes that would make you feel play to play like, oh yeah, well, there's Kyrie again. There's Kyrie again. I don't, I haven't noticed that. And I think that that's a, a very positive thing to look at in terms of evaluating how he's played since becoming a starter. All right, John, appreciate you, man. Uh, enjoy the what? You got Michigan State this weekend for uh, for Ohio State. I do. First, the Guardians are on, trying to yes, that's right. To face those stupid Yankees, so um, <laughs> no. Hey, we agree uh, there, man. We agree there. Yeah, so it's 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 a nice sports Saturday in the Scott household. I've you know I'm finishing up my preview article, which I put off yesterday, and now I'm doing that while watching the Guardians, and then Ohio State at four, and then who knows. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, enjoy the game on Sunday, and uh, we'll talk again soon, man. All right. Thanks, bye. Appreciate you. John Scott there from Spectrum News. He covers the Buffalo Bills for Spectrum. You can follow him on Twitter. Let me get, let me get you that. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy. He spells his name without the H. It's John Scott TV on Twitter. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.